want to start with this first verse, right? We'll be in Revelation uh, quite a bit, but um, uh, we'll also be in, in several other books. So, Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So as you read that verse right, right at the outset of Revelation, what's the, what's the promise that we hear? What is he promising to those? If you've got a, yeah, I've got a hand out there. Revelation 1, 3. What is he promising to us? Uh, they will be blessed. Yeah. Who do what? Who hear. Yeah, read and hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it. And so when you think about this, um, I guess that's one question is when you think about studying the future, right? What's to come? What, how will things end up? Um, what are some ways in which that can bless us as believers? Knowing those things, um, studying those things, hearing those things, reminding those things. What's, what are some ways that can bless us? peace. Yeah, so there's a certain peace uh, that comes from knowing what that story is going to look like. What other ways? Other ways other than brings us peace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, right? And, and without that, right, without that uh, studying of the way things will end, um, it might be hard to know what to hope for. Right? So we have hope in terms of what is, what, is to, what is to come? I think Any other things? Bring us peace, bring us hope. I think it allows us to steal ourselves. Um, like we do have hope, and we do have peace because we know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Most of the middle part's probably going to not be great. Um, yeah. But knowing that it's not going to be great mm-hmm. is is part of what what allows us to prepare for it not. Being yeah. Great. Yeah, I think there's a real sense in um, when you're kind of prepared in advance, like this is what's going to happen, um, whether that's good or bad, it gives you a little bit more um, readiness when it, when it comes along. You're not quite as shocked and taken aback in that sense. And so there is a sense. Uh, I think another way sometimes it, it helps us is it, it just manages our expectations, right? What do we expect to happen in terms of uh, the spread of the kingdom of God? Um, how that will work itself out in the next decade, century, however long that is. Okay. Anything else you have? Yeah. It also talks about being blessed those who keep what is written in it. And so there's elements of it that, as we it, it, it reach sets our hearts in terms of where they need to be. Mm-hmm. So it reminds us where our hearts need to be, and as we o- obey it and heed the words, it makes Christ again our, our first love. Yeah. Yeah. I think the heeding that reminds me uh, a lot of the parables that talk about um, those who the king went away, right, and he was going to be returning, and there's this preparedness, this sense of um, keeping your lamps trimmed, keeping your oil, or you're waiting, 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 and not not forgetting that the king, king is going to be returning, in that sense. So um, we're going to walk through um, some of the basic um, in times events here and so 
Uh, why do you think, and, and this is definitely true, has been true for me in the past, why do you think it's hard or why do you think people are sometimes hesitant to study and look at the end times? Why is that? Why can that be challenging or why can sometimes people, I don't think, I'm going to get into that. There can be a lot that's hard to understand. Yeah. Even though most of it should be taken literally still, it seems kind of bizarre if you take it literally. Like, mm-hmm. is the sun or is the moon going to turn mm-hmm. to It's like, right. what? Like, we yeah. can't understand these things. So a lot of it's hard to understand. Yeah, it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And we'll even read um, in one of the prophecies, one of the main prophecies, uh, you know, Daniel, he was praying, and an angel appears and says, I'm going to help you understand this, this prophecy. There's a sense in which sometimes we're afraid that we're going to get it wrong. And what else? What are some other reasons why people might just kind of skip over? I think there's an element of indwelling sin or by sin nature that pulls us and wants us to stay connected to the world. And when you think about the end, that world's going to go away. And mm-hmm. that can be hard to wrestle and grapple with if you're still feeling connected and tethered to your sin and mm-hmm. work. so yeah that's I think one like at the base of a lot of fear that people experience. So you think we're kind of just wrapped up or thinking about the world here is that what you mean? Meaning that some when you're in temptation you can go into those things of I don't there's there's things that I like. Uh-huh. And I can you know, you're, it says, no, forsake it. Uh-huh. That's not always easy to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if, if there is a sense in which we love the, the world that we live in, and you yeah. don't want that to pass away. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. I think it's challenging because over the last 2,000 years, many faithful believers have come to different conclusions on a lot of the details. Yeah. And so it's one of those issues where it's, it can it seem hard to, to land firmly in all the details, unlike the epistles or the gospels where it's much more direct and clear. Uh, the use of eschatological language that God chose to reveal in that way as a, a next other level of difficulty, and then, um, yeah, there's just a lot of disagreement on it among faithful believers. Yes, and I think that's, when I think about preparing to teach, I think that's probably, when you look at all the reservations, that's probably the, the number one thing, is that um, as a teacher, you, you're, you want to avoid right, teaching something that's false. And so there's many different um, interpretations that we have in terms of the order of the events, when the events will happen, what they actually look like, what the symbols mean, whether it's symbolic, where it's... Um, uh, literal, how literal it, it is. And so, um, to be firm about something, we'll say, um, we'll give a good justification and a reasoning. This is the position that we have, and this is why we reach it, this is how we reach it. And it's a good, really good exercise in trying to think through the way in which you study and interpret the Bible. Because, again, um, you can see how, and we'll talk about how um, the same term might be treated differently and looked at differently in terms of this has happened, hasn't, this is spiritual, or this is literal, this is physical. So that's, that can definitely complicate things. And so I think, as always, you want to go into uh, teaching the Word knowing that um, through study, God will reveal the truth of it, but it may not always be immediate, and it may not always be 
perfect and you continually are open to the correction of that word as you study it deeper and deeper. Okay. I am a little hesitant sometimes because I like I think we've all seen like someone go off the rails. Oh like, yeah. You know, in terms of like making like all they can all they talk about is end times and they mm -hmm. send you all the videos. Oh. And like yeah. and I think that sometimes there is a fascination with there is there there can be a fascination with that the end times and um, the unknown and it's like it can be consuming in certain yeah. in a certain way and I think that that sometimes just makes me be like yeah mm -hmm. let me, I'll go to what is like is a little bit more clear right. and what's going to have a more significant yeah. impact in my daily life and yeah. I don't want to make a big deal about something that's really vague yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Has anybody, I'm just curious, how many of you guys have either uh, read a book or seen some depiction of the end times? Left There's Left Behind, of course. I, I thought it was going to be three books at first and it turned into like 25 or whatever it is. Right? I remember as a young, it's young like babysitter's kid, club. Yeah. <laughs> end times are coming, but there's still enough time to yeah. Let's stretch out the book series. Um, yeah, I remember like one of the first years, maybe before around the time I became a believer, one of my friends, the, the parents came, they watched show you the movie, and you're good, we're going to be taken away, and you're going to be left behind, you know, like. And are you, all your clothes will still be left here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you walk in, someone's laid their clothes out for the day. And yeah. <laughs> What's the code? <laughs> oh, okay, you're, you're still here. It's all right. Were you gonna add something? I mean, like another thing for like me from what I've seen is like it also sparks like fear for some people who don't know what end times really is. Mm -hmm. Like my sister, she texts me, she's like, Ashton, what's Doom's Day? And I'm like, what? Like that's so random, but yeah. I, it, I think it just like it sparks that fear for people who don't know mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. And so when they turn to social media and they see it, they're like, oh, it's coming. Yeah. 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 The first 18 chapters are scary. <coughs> Of Revelation? <coughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think, too, uh, I've also seen people where they, they go to the other end instead of fixating on it, right? They just want to, like, ignore the imminence of that return. Like, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. There's just this assumption that it's going to be something that happens further on. Yeah. yeah to add to that, on what Gabe was saying, too, there's a, there's a sense especially with COVID and what happened, mm -hmm. people are like, is this, the end? Is this a sign? Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of signs that if you look at them, they are pointing to the return of Christ. So we, we don't want to dismiss that. Mm -hmm. But I heard it said really well recently that um, are we looking forward to his return or is his return going to spoil our plans? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's when you think about the, that first verse where it says, you know, we're blessed to read them, to hear them, and to heed the things that are written in there. So we're seeking to uh, be prepared for that return, to know what to expect as much as we can, to be able to kind of read and interpret, not um, overly, like, jump, thinking that something's happening too soon, not delaying, thinking that it hasn't happened. So that's one of our, one of our goals. I think, it's, I think it's fitting to be studying this right now, especially in the light of everything that's happened in Israel. There's been a lot more talk about, mm -hmm. is this the tribulation? Are we in the tribulation and all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, no, we're not in the tribulation, just so everybody knows. But, you know, there are a lot of events that are happening that seem to potentially 
set up what does happen in tribulation. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of been this this feeding frenzy around yeah. Israel and Hamas and, and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, and it's a good time to return to yeah. what do the scriptures say about eschatology and how yeah. should we thinking be thinking about what's going on in Israel right now in light of that. Great. Okay, so you mentioned tribulation. So that's kind of our first part that we're going to get into. What is, what is the tribulation? Where does it come from? And look at some of the scriptures around it. So uh, one of the key passages is in Daniel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 9. You'll see there's quite a few references here to, you know, verse 27, 24, 27, 926, And so I thought we would just go there and read this. And again, um, it's, this is one of those things where it's a great example of, you know, if you type in, what is, Dan, you know, this, if you Google this, you'll probably get a pretty long list of all different um, positions on what, what it all means. And so um, it's not something where it's um, super, oh, 100% of the of believers agree, and this is exactly what, what this means. So we're going to kind of try and take our time and talk through the main points, um, and it could be easy to get caught up on this and that, and if we have questions, we can always um, stop and kind of address those. And so, um, what we have, the context, Daniel there, and you look at the, the beginning of chapter 9, um, he says, and starting in verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he's, he's been reading through and discerning the, the prophecy of Jeremiah that they were going to be in exile for those 70 years. Okay? And he begins to pray to the Lord for Israel, for Jerusalem, for, his pe for the people. And then if you go ahead to verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Okay, so here we go into the 70 weeks. So, anybody want to read? We're going to go from 24 um, all the way down to the end of the chapter. We've got a good volunteer. We'll do. All right, Dave. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who <coughs> is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. 
even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Yeah. Okay. All clear, right? Very, very clear. So I'm, we're going to try and drop put a few things here. We'll put kind of the crucifixion there. So what are some terms in there, right? Um, now we we would um, estimate that Daniel was probably written somewhere around five thirty, five somewhere back here, right? So what are some things that you see? Uh, prophesied in here that you're like these are some key things that we need to know what they mean. So first of all, like what are the periods of time that you see? 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Okay. And you would be like, well it's been 70 weeks. Right? So that weeks um, is basically sevens. 70 sevens is the, the word there. And so in the context, when you think about those sevens, um, there's a lot that goes into that. In, in Jeremiah, when he was talking about how it was 70 years, um, you know, the, in, back in Leviticus, God had said that every seventh year, you'll give their land a rest, right? Every seventh year. And they had not done that, right? They had not done that over and over and over, 70 times they had not done that. And so Israel went out and God exiled them and the land had its rest for those 70 years that they had neglected to give the land rest. And so in the context here, through Jeremiah, the <coughs> Sabbath rest that was happening every seven years, we're saying that these 77s are to be uh, years, 70 groups of seven years. Okay. Uh, and then what do you see with those, what else do you see in there that's like, okay, what is that, what is that supposed to mean? 70 weeks are decreed. There's many purposes there. What are the things that are supposed to happen First one is to do what? Um, to finish the transgression. Okay. Yeah, so we've got several things that are supposed to happen. What's the next one? Put an end to sin. Yeah, so it seems like a similar kind of thing. End to sin. What's the third one? Atone for iniquity. And so these are all things that are a part of the prophecy that's going to be... Oh, can you see really well over there? Uh, I just said I'm already lost. This is why I don't study. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, thank you, Dave. This is helping me stretch. Right? Yeah. So, atone for iniquity. Let's keep going. Right? We're just reading right now. Okay, so now it kind of seems to shift here, right? Bring in everlasting... And there's a couple more. What's the, after that? Seal up vision and prophecy. Okay. 
My ESV says seal both vision and profit. Okay, prophecy or profit. A massive difference, but Okay. And then the last one? Is there one more? Anoint the most holy place. Anoint the most holy place? That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all of these purposes that are supposed to transpire within this, in, this 70, in these 70 weeks. Okay, so then he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again, a squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, right? So notice he says, after there's seven weeks, then there's another 62 weeks, and then he says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people, okay, so that key part, what do you think that part, what do we think that is? Yeah, so this is the anointed one. Uh, and so you have the seven weeks, And then the 62 weeks. And this part, this part really bothered me because I'm a math teacher, right? And I'm like trying to get all the dates and get them to add up, right? And I think there's some things where I had to be a little bit careful. So like in some of the study, it's like, well, a year was 360 days and there's 365. So how does that add up? You know, when was, is, is 1 uh, AD and was Jesus crucified at 33 or 35 or so I got a little bit, that sometimes can be a little discouraging because not having all of the line up to the day or not being able to do all the math from this, I think sometimes you can miss the point of like the scripture predicting what's going to happen in the future and giving a certain amount of time and seeing that time take place, but trying to reconcile the Old Testament calendar from Daniel to the current calendar that we have. I think it was maybe missing, missing the point. But um, the call to go out and um, restore and build Jerusalem, uh, we think that's uh, something that we studied in Nehemiah. Do you remember when we studied? If you were here, it's been a, a while, I guess. We studied Nehemiah. And Artaxerxes says go, to Nehemiah, go out and rebuild the temple. And so they kind of placed that around uh, 444, 445. And then the seven weeks later, around 50 years later, you have um, the end of um, a few different things that kind of align with that. And then you've got the rest of the, these years ending somewhere around the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that part leads up. Now the 70 weeks is given, but this is only the 62. And so then the, a lot of the question is, well, what, what about that last Week. And so the tribulation is here at the end, where it's talking about after those 62 weeks. So let's look, look at verse, uh, we just read, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. Okay, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, and guesses what that's referring to, what we think that's referring to. Yeah, that's the destruction of Jerusalem, right? We think, and that happened in around 70. So you have the 70 
is the destruction. And that was from, who did that? Babylon. So the people of the one, or the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with the flood, and to, to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And so that one week, that last week, is what we're talking about um, in a sense that it's talking about uh, abominations shall occur, right? And so the tribulation is that time, that last week, when the Antichrist, the one who is to come, comes and he makes this strong covenant with many. So there's this national uh, covenant that's made with reference to Israel. And I think, too, there's a, there's a, we'll talk about it a little bit. When we study end times, what do you, when he talks about my people or the nation of Israel or um, my holy city, there's a difference in opinion on what that represents. So it could represent um, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem. What else do you think people interpret that to mean? Can you ask the question? Yeah, so when, when we read the end times and we read about promises of God towards my people, um, in Daniel's context, we're taking that to be Israel, right? Uh, what are some other interpretations that sometimes people will have towards it, when God makes promises to my people? Well, after the resurrection, it just be referred to as the church. So, grafted in. Mm -hmm. so that's that's a big question that people will disagree on, right? And because God makes many promises to. Israel in the scriptures, and when people think about, well, what is that going to look like in the end, some people will say, well, that's being fulfilled here, because the church has replaced Israel. Those are now, now this is his people. And, and others will say, well, in the context, when God makes a promise to Israel, right, then that promise is directed towards Israel, where those are distinct promises that are made. And so that is a great place where you can see people, well, you might be talking about the same prophecy, um, but they're saying, well, God has fulfilled that in the church versus, well, has he fulfilled that? Well, in addition, a lot of the like um, prophecies about Messiah had a immediate fulfillment and mm -hmm. immediate fulfillment. So I can see that argument being strengthened too with it did have the immediate um, nation of Israel within the larger Right, right. And so when you look at um, some people aren't as concerned in terms of the faith, the nation of Israel, in terms of what's happening politically or um, the, with the, the Jews that are existing today because they believe that's all been shifted to the church and there's not really any particular special role for Israel. So that's a very big distinction that, that we would make is that when God makes these promises to Israel, he actually means Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And so there's a redemption that, that is to come that, that we're still awaiting. Other questions or comments at this point? We're kind of like in the middle of talking about, yes? So keep in mind as I ask this, I, I genuinely have no opinion, no stance. Okay. I'm arguing for anything. It's an actual question. Disclaimer, I got it. So given that we're doing the math. Oh, yeah. And um, 
you know, talks about the 62 weeks, the mm-hmm. will be cut off, mm-hmm. all of that thing. Talks about the end of the city and the sh- and, and the sanctuary mm-hmm. uh, coming in a flood. Um, and it says, and he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Um, and then there it talks about the end, the desolate end. Mm-hmm. Give this this is all like talking about you know the the, the desolation or the, or the tribulation. Um, is this? I, I don't. You know, obviously, the way that this is formatted is exactly how God intended. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, right. God. I'm a little stupid. Don't get it. Oh, uh, but the way the way it's formatted is it saying that we're in the tribulation post Jesus is death. So like, or or is yeah. it is it like the because I don't know exactly what it's saying time wise. I'm not saying if it's saying this is gonna happen and then directly after this is gonna happen. Or if it's saying this is going to happen, and then at some point, yeah, this is going to happen. But given right. that it's been talking mathematically for numbers of weeks up to a certain point, then at, and then it suddenly stops. Is it safe to assume that it's talking? This is going to happen, right? Like, does that make sense? I'm. I think I'm kind of with you. Okay, so one, there's a little note in here. Um, so like, if you look under tribulation, right? Uh, 69, 69 of the weeks, 483 years, concludes with the death of Christ. And then there's a gap, right? So 69 weeks occurs, and then after that, these other things are going to take place until we reach the 70th week. So the 70th week is we have the Antichrist, it begins with that national covenant and carries on halfway through, starts those tribulational events from Revelation. And so there's several different reasons why we would say um, there is a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Uh, and I don't know if that's exactly getting what your question is. But some of those reasons uh, talk about how both Paul, um, Jesus in Matthew 24, um, Paul in um, his talking about uh, the last week of Daniel, and then John in Revelation. All three of them talk about the events of that last week as a future event yet to occur. And so, and in Jesus, um, it makes sense where it would be future for him because he hasn't yet been resurrected. But with Paul's writings and the writing of Revelation, those were well after, decades after. Um, and he was, they were still treating that future week as something that is yet to occur. And so, there's so many ways in which um, we think about um, some of the coming of Jesus as happening you know, in stages, we had the first coming of Jesus, then the resurrection, then we're waiting for the second coming, and there's a this gap of time between. Doing okay? So yes. Does the weeks or whatever start when he comes back? I'm so. Okay, so <laughs> what what we believe is that Daniel in that prophecy he says when you. The 70 weeks will start when Jerusalem is rebuilt. Okay, So at the time, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The king Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah back to rebuild Jerusalem. That's the start of the 70 weeks. Okay, So then, those 70 sevens, or those seven-year periods, 69 of them, 2, 7 plus 62, leads us from that around 445 B.C., to around the 30 to 33 AD where Jesus' crucifixion is. 
So we believe those have already taken place. And then it talks about what will happen after those weeks. So after those weeks, it begins to talk about the people who destroyed your holy city, right? Out of, out of uh, the people from whom this prince will come will destroy the city. So that happened in AD 70. Again, well, uh, many years after that, that last week. And from those people, a prince will come right, at some point. And that's talking about the Antichrist that last week, that 70th week, which we believe is yet to happen in the future. So we're in the, after the first set of weeks, the first 69 weeks, before the very last week, before the last, ultimate <laughs> second coming of Christ. Church age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so... And there's not a mathematical example for that in Scripture, so that we can figure that out. Right, so if you want to flip ahead, I thought we could do a little comparison that can kind of see uh, maybe the, the similarities and differences. So there's kind of a chart with all kind of timelines there on page 9. So we'll talk about, and Dave will kind of hit on a lot of these, but you've got, you've got two specific periods. You have the church age. And then you have the millennium. Falcon. No, just the millennium. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it an E or an I after the mill? Millennium. Oh, I had it. Okay, okay. Millennium. Okay. So, we'll, let's read that real quick. So, another passage. This is in Revelation. So, let's go into Revelation. And it's also in your handout on page 4. Revelation 20, 4 through 10. Chris, you want to read this one? Revelation 4, 20, verse 4 through 10. It's on the bottom of page 4 there. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. For they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire with brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay. Yeah, so we're kind of kind of jumping ahead, but we have um, the key things that we're talking about are we have the tribulation, the rapture, which we kind of alluded to a little bit ago, right? Behind. And um, then we have the millennium, or the thousand, right? 
And so how those things fit together, when they happen, what we're in now, what's going to come in the future, that's where um, there's kind of disagreement. And so on, um, on page 9, I believe it is, you can kind of see. So some would say in those first two that the church age is the millennial kingdom, what you just read about. Um, where when it talks about the spiritual, or when it talks about the uh, resurrection there in uh, where he says they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years are completed. This is the first resurrection. So those who are kind of in the all millennial or post-millennial believe that that's referring to uh, the, a spiritual resurrection that happens after Christ's ascension. And that we're in that time now, that we are living out this. Um, and obviously they believe it's uh, not a literal thousand years, because they know it's been more than a thousand years. Um, so that'd be all millennial, like it's the same as the church age, or this post-millennial as if it's... It's happened um, from those that time that we're living in right now. And then you have pre-millennial believing. So that's where we would say is that the millennium is something that is a, a literal thousand years and it's coming in the future. Okay. I forgot which question led me to that. Just the fact that there's not a... Like a number of like... Really like Prior, everything is pretty well. You've seen it lay out in that time mm -hmm, period. Mm -hmm. But now, this this age or this section is not. There's not an actual like. Yeah, and I think that's something that again you see people trying to predict, right? That it's going to happen in this year. It's going to happen that year. You look at the the signs, and that seems to go against the the unknown and the imminence of that Christ could return. Um, and uh, there could be this sudden, unexpected, unknown time at which Christ returns. And that's another reason why, like with the imminence of Christ, if you look at the difference um, between some of these, um, the, the tribulation, whether or not Christ's return happens before or after that, well, if the, if the tribulation happens and we see all these things taking place, we kind of know once that clock starts for that last 70th week, He's coming at the end of that. And so it kind of eliminates, well, what's the, what's the unexpected one? So the, that's referring to, we'd say that's referring to the rapture of the, of the believers. Yes? So just getting this right, so you're saying that the, the, the way we reconcile the, the fact that, you know, only the, quote, unquote, only the Father knows, mm -hmm. and then also the fact that we've been, literally, you know, given kind of an instruction manual, mm -hmm. is that um, the, the concept that the Father only knows applies to the, like, the resurrection, like the second resurrection, or I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused on that final. Okay, so I'm saying that uh, we don't know when this, when the beginning of this last week will happen, and so we would place that as the rapture, the return of Christ, where all those believers are taken up. Okay, that's something that, that no one knows that they are they are our. Okay, and this scripture and this prophecy is given to help us know 
then what is going to happen kind of following that? But we don't know when that's going to begin. Okay? And you've got that 70th week, and then there's like a, a mid, middle point in there, again, where that covenant broken. And so in a sense, um, when we talk about, you know, after the, the tribulation, you can see there, point three on, on the second page, um, this, this word rapture, right, is like this catching up. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Let's see an example of what this is talking about. Hopefully, you've got a lot of questions stirring, and then next week you can just pepper, pepper Dave. I'm like, yeah, we, it's really, they said it's crystal clear, and uh, they had maybe one or two questions. Anybody want to read there? 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, 17. Yeah. Chapter 4, 17? Mm-hmm. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Yeah. And if we look, maybe if we back up a little bit, um, I'll go ahead and read some of the verses leading into that. So he says, starting in verse 13, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, and have no hope, right? So he's talking about how this gives us hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, right? He's talking about those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. So that's our word where we're saying raptured together. And so that's kind of where we're drawing this out. right? And uh, there's some other scriptures there where you think about in John 14, Christ talks about he's going to prepare a place for you. He's bringing us up into that place. And so... Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.51, let's go ahead and flip there. I like to read some of these scriptures instead of just mentioning them. You like this one, Gabe, right? I, uh, you said the other day. Right? So in 50, he says, I tell you this. Brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Talking about our bodies, uh, our fallen bodies, they're perishable, they're these temporary bodies. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. And so there's a sense in where you were echoing the same thing that we saw in 1 Thessalonians. The dead are raised at this trumpet call, Christ's return. Then we who are alive, it says we shall not all sleep, but we will be changed from these perishable bodies to these imperishable bodies. And so we're getting this idea that there's just going to be this trumpet call, 
lightning flash, twinkling of an eye moment. Christ comes and uh, brings up, catches up with them. So that's what we mean when we talk about uh, the rapture. Can I add one more thing? Absolutely. Muddy up the floor. Oh boy, muddy. <laughs> okay. It seems like when I, I've studied this ad infinitum, yeah. I've become a, you know, pan millennialist, well, pan out in the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a great discourse on when Revelation is written. Whether mm-hmm. you're on the list, yeah. millennialist, or dispensationalist, mm-hmm. it seemed like there was a camp that believed it was written around 60. Mm-hmm. AD, and then there's a camp that believes it's written around 90. Mm-hmm. So the camp at 60 all were all millennials or post millennials, and the camp that believed in a later date of scripture, 90, mm-hmm. were tribulationists. Yeah. And it's, it's it was what I found was that people were married to whatever they heard when they first were converted, mm-hmm. they would die on that hill. And so it wasn't worth Because if you look at this, it's eternal state. Is it the over here? Mm -hmm. So if we concentrate on that eternal state, it doesn't, you can't make sense of some of the math Uh to the left of it. Yeah. And and I've I've heard several people again where they're they're kind of in a debate. And there's a sense in which it's very um, difficult to know and say with certainty that. What when you say you're taking it literally? Well, there's lots. Literally means just the way it was intended to be understood. Like how does the language? It doesn't mean that a door means a door, right? It means that you read the language, you pay attention to the rules of the language, the context of the language. You take all those things into account to help you understand um, what those words meant by that original author to the original audience. And so uh, when we say and, and there's a lot of room for respect to people that have different eschatological timelines, right? In terms of exactly when, when, where. Will you? Yeah, I just wanted to agree. I, I love this church because to follow the Bible is close without resting the scriptures. We're commanded not to, you know, twist to fit our own preconceived ideas and go from there. I know um, just studying history, like the Catholic Church is all millennial, mm-hmm. so they have those traditions. Even a lot, and I was surprised to, to learn that uh, in the Reformed Church, there's also those traditions. Kind of like mm-hmm. you learned about um, baptism and some of the things um, last week. There's those traditions of man that have carried over, mm-hmm. and we want to be as close to Scripture as possible without twisting yeah. it, but still have that. You know, um, right. open debate. We can discuss things civilly and be able yeah. to, you know, see. But what, where, where does God, you know, yeah. want us to go with the scripture? And I, and I think that one of the things you hit on was that, like, just leaning and resting upon scripture and trusting that God will reveal to us the, the meaning and the truth of scripture. And I think that that's where a lot of times, when you're getting into a conversation, particularly about end times, so long as that everyone is submitted to, okay, the scriptures, right, whatever it says in the scriptures, that describes it, and then it becomes, in some ways, an exercise in consistently applying your method of hermeneutic. How do you interpret the Bible? Because the way in which you choose to interpret will have create very different conclusions. 
Um, when, when do you make something allegory? When do you make it symbolic? How do you know when it is? Um, it can have that effect. And so you, could, you can see that in when, you, when you look at um, some of those charts, you're like, well, I think when you look at, at first, you're like, well, they all look the same. You know, the cross on the left, right? You got the eternal state on the right. Um, and so some of the particulars where you think about, well, how can you be blessed and things. Um, when you think about the millennium, um, this is kind of the, you think about next time. Um, when it talks about the millennium and the reign of Christ, how Christ will reign and all the saints will reign with him, there can be a very different expectation in terms of if you believe that we're in the millennium now, then scripturally you should see the world becoming more and more sanctified, Christian, and ruled as the gospel works its way out, getting better and better and more heavenly, versus if you view the millennium as happening later, um, you may see that the world is not, Christ is not ruling over all things, that it, it is decaying and um, that sin is reigning and so how you view the spread of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom versus the overall um, climate and spirituality and the submission to Christ worldwide, you can have different expectations. And what is that going to look like? And what should you expect to be happening? What role does the church play in terms of preparing for that? So when we get into like all-millennial, post-millennial versus pre-millennial, um, that can sometimes be a, a point at which you could, it can affect your day-to-day ministry in terms of this is what we ought to be doing because this is what ought to be happening in terms of the world around us. Well, thank you. No one, no one uh, threw too big of a bomb in there that I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, no, wait, I said <laughs> question time is over. But uh, save those questions. Make a, make a list of those. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll go into it a little bit more. And, and I think that it is something to understand. Sometimes this is an area like with many things where when you're talking with believers all over Emporia and the world, it's helpful to understand different positions because it can impact the way in which you carry out ministry and your expectations upon what's, what is to come in the future. Any other comments before we wrap up? Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm so thankful for um, just these prophecies. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, sometimes it is intimidating to think about what what is this actually going to look like? And I'm filled with great joy just knowing uh, that you know exactly how things will play out. I'm filled with great encouragement and hope knowing that you have given us these prophecies for a reason to, to help us, to encourage us, that all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us that we might be thoroughly equipped. And so I pray that we would approach scripture in that way, knowing that it's for our good, for our benefit, and be, help us to be okay when we are confused and, and not certain about some mysteries and help us to seek to just know you better and to understand what you've revealed to us in a better way. I pray that you'd be with us um, the rest of this morning. Help us to encourage one another as we sing to you, as we listen to your word preached, and as we fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.